Hello and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Kozak. And today we are joined by Michael Kravchik to talk about how to avoid shiny object syndrome. Michael graduated from the Richard Ivey School of Business in 2009, specializing in accounting and finance. He began his career as an external auditor at Ernest & Young, then moved to Portivity as a risk management consultant. Michael then completed an MA in international affairs, specializing in counterterrorism, which is amazing, while working at Scotiabank in that capacity. In 2016, Michael founded Luminary, a platform dedicated to making CPAs' lives easier and their careers progress faster. The Luminary community is over 15,000 CPAs strong and takes advantage of Luminary's customized services, including jobs, volunteer, education, mentorship, content, and more. Most recently, Luminary launched their professional development platform, LumiQ, highlighting practical skills taught by industry experts. Michael, welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Lisa, so you have a pretty interesting connection, it sounds like, to Michael. Can you fill us in a little bit about that before we dive into avoiding shiny object syndrome? Yeah, so back when I was a, well, I am a CPA, but back when I was working on Bay Street in Toronto, I was out for lunch one day with some friends and we were walking back and all of a sudden there was this group of people who were handing out cookies and, you know, who doesn't want to grab a cookie? And it was actually Michael and his co-founder and somebody else and they were handing out cookies to get the word out. And I absolutely love that because who doesn't want to grab a cookie? And I actually am gluten intolerant. So I took it back to the office and handed it to another coworker. Amazing. <laughs> but it just really, I love that story because it shows that you guys were out there hitting the ground running right from the beginning. Yeah, we built, um, we built placards that made it look like we were protesting something, but on it, it just said, are you a CPA question mark? If so, we'd like to give you a cookie. Um, and that, that, that tend, like everybody looks when they see a placard yeah. and if you're a CPA, you're, you're, you're going to pay attention because nobody's ever calling out CPAs. I mean, you know, it's not like we're walking down the street and that happens very frequently. So that's true. And you're right in the center of where all the CPAs are hanging out. So exactly. sure you've got a lot of people. That's incredible marketing just in terms of not only just being in the right place, but also having something that would really connect with the audience and then to do something that's really unique. I love that creativity. Yeah. Well, and we also started uh, handing them out at the uh, accounting exams, okay. which is really funny because, you know, these are like five hour, three days, like five hours for three days in a row exams. So they're pretty horrible. Um, and like, you know, when people walk out, a lot of times companies will be there trying to like hand flyers to people. And it's like, man, like I just wrote a five hour exam. Like I do not want to be sold to right now. But if you're handing somebody a sugar head at the end of that exam, eh, that's a different story. That's awesome. incredible. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, that's a pretty cool way to build a business. I got to say, I'm just taking note of that in the back of my head. Let's talk about shiny object syndrome. So you kind of brought this up as a topic. What is it? I'm sure a lot of us have experienced it and we don't even know it. We may not know it by that name, but what is it to you? Yeah, it's funny. Actually, I'm going to give you guys credit for putting the syndrome behind it. Um, <laughs> it makes it sound a lot more le legitimate and not like something I just kind of came up with. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, we, so in, in starting this business, we thought a lot about our career paths because, you know, uh, I'm going to save everyone the really long drawn out story of like the 18 businesses that we thought <laughs> business ideas that we thought we were going to start before we got to this. A lot of them had to do with career progression because my co-founder and I had both taken kind of some strange paths. 
Um, and it's, it's hard. I think a lot of, I'm sure every, like everybody listening will, it will resonate with them that like in high school, everybody's asking you what you want to be and you're just young and you don't know anything and you just kind of pick something that seems right. And then you get on that path and you're kind of there. And a lot of times at all of the decision-making points, you probably don't have a whole lot of information about, um, your job. And the interesting thing is that people just get into those kind of patterns or let's call it like uh, places where they're comfortable and they just kind of follow the path a lot of times. And that's what, that's what I did ultimately getting my, my CPA, which I'm not upset about because it was a great background, but I am happy that I had the, uh, the ability later on to say, you know what, this isn't where I want to be long term. Like I love being a CPA similar to Lisa, but I don't want to be working on accounting for the rest of my life. And I needed to, really break out of the mold of being a CPA to do that. And so I think a lot of that comes from us thinking through this process and thinking about building the company. Originally, our company focused on helping CPAs get jobs. We still do that. And one of the big pieces that, that we understood from our users after speaking to so many of them, like before we launched, we had like 500 one-on-one in-depth interviews yeah, like it was insane. We were doing, we were each doing like eight or nine a day. They were, it was pretty brutal, but it was worth it because we learned a whole bunch of stuff. And I think what was key there is that a lot of people don't know what they want to do, but they do know what they don't want to do. And that, and that becomes really difficult as you're trying to search for your next career path because you're looking and you're looking and you find these things that appear like what you may want to do, but you haven't really thought about it in I, let's call it like a very discriminating way. And you sometimes get attracted to these things, bringing us back to the shiny objects. You get attracted to these aspects of a role that aren't necessarily the most important in terms of your well-being and happiness and even success in the role, but they seem great. Like there's a beer tap in the, in the kitchen, you know, or there's a ping pong table or you have this nice shiny, title or for everybody working on Bay Street, you know, you get to wear a suit to work and, you know, feel, you know, great about yourself working in a big office tower or like all of these aspects that don't really come down to what you do every day in your job, but that people sometimes make decisions based off of. And so we came up with a different set of things that that we think people should have been making more of that decision making on. Wow. That definitely is I mean, that resonates with me, but I, I think it also resonates with sort of the essence of what our show really is. Would you agree with that, Lisa? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think that everybody at some point has made a decision based on salary or like you said, your tap in the office or whatever that might be. Yeah. And you get, you know, there's a million different ways of looking at a perks, you know, oh, you get unlimited vacation, which is a trap, by the way. When people say unlimited vacation. That means you will feel constantly guilty about taking vacation, um, you know, which Good is point. kind of and like I believe to, to my, my core belief is that it's actually like negative from a psychological health perspective. Like when people go on vacation, they should shut off. Yeah. And what these unlimited vacations do is it kind of shades the difference between work and not work, which is kind of like what the life of an entrepreneur is which I don't recommend from a psychological or mental health well-being perspective. I got to be honest, it's a very, it's a very difficult thing. You should have more boundaries between the rest of your life and work. Well put. I feel like we could go down the route of endless vacation as its own conversation topic, but yeah, then we'd yeah, be falling I, victim I a lot of research on to it. shiny object syndrome in our own <laughs> right. 
So I will, uh, will try and bring it back, but that's a very important point that you just made. Okay. So you've kind of gone over what causes it and how can someone who is experiencing it figure out, determine for themselves that they're actually going through this? That's a hard question. I mean, you know, I think it's a lot of it is, is internal self-reflection and I have a couple of things that I recommend people focus on when thinking about their job and you know look everybody is different and so I'm not going to pass judgment on something like salary or unlimited vacation or anything else like I think what one of the key things is that people need to walking into a job search or even if they're not formally looking but they're kind of passively looking they need to decide what they're trying to optimize for are they trying to optimize for salary? Are they trying to optimize for work-life balance? Are they trying to optimize for, let's use an ambiguous word, passion? Uh, mm -hmm. We can get back to some of the trouble behind that, that word later on. Um, but there's like a lot of different things. Hey, maybe you're just optimizing for, I want to work not that many hours and work close to home because I've got, you know, young kids and I need to take care of, like there's, lots of things and there's no right or wrong answer to that. It's like, what do you care about personally? But once you decide what you're optimizing for, you should focus on those qualities. But besides that, there are these kind of overarching things that I think sometimes it's easy to, to forget about it when you get lost in the, the shiny objects. Mm -hmm. So um, the thing that, or the way that I, I refer to it is the difference between kind of industry and what I call function function being the actual task that you're doing. So if you're a marketer, you're, um, you know, you are a marketer and you're doing, I mean, of course, marketing is a huge topic and you can have sub segments within that, but that's what you're, that's the task that you're doing. You're being a marketer. You might be doing that at a car company or a, I don't know, a, a tech company or a, uh, I don't know, a professional services company, whatever it is. So splitting out industry and function allows you to focus on what I think is the more important thing, which is function. And the reason I say that is I just go through, I, I learned it from my own career history, to be honest, at least in my situation for me. And that's why I, I always say all of this with a grain of salt, you know, everybody should do what feels right for them. But this is at least how I feel is like, I went into accounting for all sorts of reasons. But when I got there, I realized that I didn't like being an accountant. I was learning a ton, but I didn't like being an accountant. So I went and did with a, what a lot of probably millennials and Gen Zs and whatever does. And I like took the pendulum and swung it hard the complete <laughs> opposite way. Yep. And I'm like, I'm just going to focus on passion. I'm a big history nerd. I'm a big politics junkie. I'm very interested in all sorts of things that led into me going and getting a master's degree in counterterrorism, which again, I don't. <laughs> yeah, which I, I don't, I don't um, look back on with any, like, I'm really happy I did that. It was a great experience. I learned a ton about, um, you know, communication, especially written communication that maybe you don't get as much of in like accounting school or business school. Um, all sorts of things I learned a ton about, and it was great and interesting. And I love the topic, right? Like the, the content itself, I am the kind of person that will sit there and read about it for hours at home. But as soon as it became my job, what I realized, which was really interesting, was I was sitting there, I was doing this at Scotiabank, and I was just writing reports all day, every day, sitting behind my computer. And I looked back at being an accountant, and I was like, wow, I actually enjoyed that job more. Even though the subject matter was not what I was interested in, 
I got to engage with people more often, which is something that I like to do in my job. I don't like just sitting there and being analytical. Some people do, right? And that's why you always got to look at it as like, what function is right for you? But for me, part of it was I needed to have more social interaction. I needed my job to change more on a day-to-day basis. And my third, I'd say major role after that, I mean, I'm missing certain ones in between that I think were kind of similar to each other was when I realized, okay, I didn't like being an accountant. So then I tried being in this area that I'm very passionate about, but I didn't like the actual job, even though the industry was interesting. So then I went and of course did a complete 180 again and went and started working at a startup where I I was, they called me the CFO there, but I was really more of a, like an operations person. And it was around cycling. Like, uh, you know, those people that dress up in like full Lycra suits mm-hmm. and like they take it very intensely. So we were, we were building a wearable technology product for them and the tech was really, really cool. Um, and I absolutely knew nothing about this kind of cycling. Today, I still find it not my sport by any means whatsoever, but I really enjoyed my job, like the things that I was doing. And because of that, it didn't really matter that I didn't care so much about cycling. I actually learned more about cycling than probably anything that I knew about at the time. And, and, that, was, and that was great and interesting because I was doing it for a purpose and it was fulfilling me in a, in a different way. And so that's what kind of led me to separate this idea of industry and function and be, and I, you know, I, I say this uh, in jest to a lot of people or I'm like, do you want to, like, if you're passionate about cars, do you want to sweep the floor at the GM plant or do you want to find some kind of job function that you are really, really good at and get fulfillment out of in general? And then if you're really good at it, GM will hire you to do that or whatever, some other car company, right? Like you can find your, your industry niche or whatever once you're really good and have a good, good, you know, credibility in, in that space and success under your belt. So I, I look at it as, whereas you can't go the other way around, right? Like you can't, you know, oh, I'd like to design, I'd like to design cars. Okay, well, you got to learn industrial design and you might have to do that at, you know, a place that's industrial designing, you know, the axle of a lorry that's, you know, taking people around, you know, I don't know, whatever the case may be. And that might be what you have to do first. But once you become really good at designing mechanical vehicles, well, then a car company is going to want to hire you. So I, I, yeah, hopefully that kind of gives the, the high level of, of my own path and how I got to this kind of conclusion. Very cool. So I heard like a, at least a couple of really big themes in there and I just want to take a moment to underline them and correct me if I, if I blow it here. So you're saying that the, the global solution to avoiding shiny object syndrome, as we've termed it, is optimize for something in in your career and it can go in a whole bunch of different ways and then put the focus on how you build yourself functionally versus jump into an industry forget about what you're actually doing put the skills together and then go find a place to apply it yeah yeah and and just to kind of add on to your first point it's not that you necessarily have to optimize for one thing only right like they're you know it's kind of like uh, buying a house, you know, like you can't have it all. Mm-hmm. You got it. You do want the bigger, uh, 
the bigger garage? Do you want the more residential neighborhood? Do you want to be closer to the subway? Do you want, I mean, there's all these different things, but you have to sit there and say to yourself, well, you know what? I've got three kids. So I need at least four rooms in my house. And that's like, that's a no, that's a, that's a no brainer. Uh, And, you know, so you got to go through that kind of prioritization and be really honest with yourself. And I guess the one thing that I would add to that is really critically think about your current role or the things that you've done in the past, if you're still in school and you haven't had a job yet, like, what are the things that I enjoy doing and that I do well in? Because usually they're the same things. And I don't mean things that are as specific as like, you know, I, again, I really like cars. And so I'm really good at, you know, thinking about cars. Sure. Okay. You might be really good at that, but like, think about it in terms of more core competencies. Like, are you good at, um, uh, negotiating with people? Are, are you good at conversing with people? Are you much better? Are you more of an analytical brain? And you like, you know, diving into data and pulling out like, it's these core aspects of your job, the things that you are going to be doing eight, 10, 12, 16 hours a day, depending on which job you decide to take. But those things that you're doing all day, every day, those are the things that greatly impact whether you enjoy your job or not, with the other factor being the people there, which you know, you really can't tell until you get there anyway. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you can't really optimize for that. You also said something when we talked prior to the show about job satisfaction and what that kind of means and, and the fact that it's not happiness. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, happiness is, is a fleeting emotion, right? Like what you, I think what you really want to be optimizing for more is things like fulfillment and, and like the feeling that you are, or I shouldn't say for me, I, I should say the feeling that I am improving at something is really important to me, but you got to figure out what those things are for you that you're, again, it kind of just brings us full circle back to it. And happiness is a very difficult thing to achieve because as soon as you achieve it, it's gone, you know? So I think it's more like satisfaction that you're going for that. Okay. You know, fulfillment, satisfaction, whatever word you want to use to describe this situation where you're constantly you know, being challenged, unless that's not something you want, right? And so I guess every time I say something, I'm like catching myself, like, well, hold on, there might be another. <laughs> and if there's, if there's anything that I've learned starting this company and like talking to so many people about things like this, do you realize that no matter how similar people are, even if they grew up in the same neighborhood and went to the same schools and ended up with the same degree and took the same first job and whatever, people think about things so differently. And so it's, it's really important to just sit back and say, okay, what is it for, for me, right? Like humans are weird, you know, emotional, you know, animals and we're, we're all this and we can't escape it. So we got to play into that rather than kind of try to pretend it isn't the case. Yeah, for sure. I found that in my own life and, and for some of the clients that I've worked with too, shiny object syndrome tends to kind of pop up when they're constantly trying something new and hoping that it's gonna fill that need, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it could be that they, they take a promotion and then they're there for a year and they're not really fulfilled and they jump into something else a year later and then I mean, you can kind of see it on their resume. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to, again, focusing on, or I should say not focusing on or not being honest with yourself a lot of the time, because it's a really difficult thing to figure out what you really care about. I mean, these Mm -hmm. are things that people have been, you know, sages have been, you know, deliberating on for eons. But, but, you know, I mean, 
there are certain things. It was blatantly obvious to me my first week at, uh, when I was working at Scotiabank, when I was sitting all day staring at my screen, researching things, putting reports together. And so I was just like, I cannot do this. I just cannot do this long term. And if you're honest with yourself, that'll, that'll, that'll come out. How long were you at that job, just out of curiosity? That particular one, like it was like a summer, uh, a summer thing in between my semesters at school. Nice. So it was only four months and it was too long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Like you really, I think as long as you just really be honest with yourself and stop caring about what you should quote unquote be doing. Like when I told people that I was leaving accounting and I was going to get a master's degree in counterterrorism, people looked at me like I was totally nuts. <laughs> Maybe they were right. I don't know. But regardless of, of, of that, you just really have to be honest with yourself about what, what you want and what you like and what you enjoy because, you know, now my job is way crazier and ridiculous. And there's a lot of people that look at what I do and go, Oh my God, that sounds horrible. And it probably is really bad for a lot of people. But for me, it, it's at least somewhat good. I'm still, I'm still optimizing. I'm not in a perfect play. I'm still trying to get closer and closer to where I want to be, but uh, it's certainly much closer than any of the jobs I had at the beginning. Very cool. And kudos to you for figuring out relatively quickly, like four months isn't forever, but to actually figure out that this is like not what I want to do for the next several decades. Cause there are people we can probably think of who have done that, right? They, they somehow trapped themselves in the world of tolerance in what they were doing and they yeah. never ever tried something new that they might've liked a whole lot more. Well, don't give me too much kudos. Cause I did intern as an auditor in accounting and I was so unraveled with, at the time, my girlfriend and now wife was like on exchange and I could go visit her again because I didn't have to interview for like new jobs. You know, like I, I went through being an auditor and I wasn't kind of with it enough to say, hey, this really isn't what I want to do. And then I ended up there full time. And I remember I have this very visceral memory of sitting there on my first day full time. And like in, in my client at my clients uh, in the boardroom and, and just being like, Oh my God, this is now life. <laughs> right? Like when you're an intern, it's like, Oh, it ends in four months. Like with school, with all that, everything in your life before that, there is a time limit. And then you start a full-time job and it's like, wait, this is like, I could be in this job for the next 50 years if that was something that I intended to do. And it immediately became obvious to me that I need to get out at the right moment. That's really cool. And a lot of people too, they talk about the golden handcuffs is the reason that they're staying somewhere. And it's the way that you were saying that it just kind of made me think of somebody and like the prison door coming down and you're like, Oh, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people rightly so um, get turned off by a switch by a career transition because of the effects on compensation. And there are legitimate effects on compensation. Do not kid yourself. Like, you know, the friends of mine that stayed in the accounting path, certainly for a long time, were doing significantly better than me. And even today, you know, I'm still trying to, you know, my company is still in its early stages. So it's, you know, I'm not, uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not making what an accountant would out doing what I would have done had I stayed the course. 
But what you realize is that that is, had I stayed the course, that would have been really detrimental to my mental health, my physical health, my everything else. And the people that stayed, hopefully they stayed for the right reasons. And that's great, right? Like don't, um, don't take anything I'm saying to mean that like, um, if you found the right thing, if you happened upon it in the first try, like that's awesome. I remember being really jealous of people. Like I had this manager once that you could just tell he loved being an auditor. Like he, to his core, he just ate it up. And I, the only, the only emotion I had was just jealousy. It was like, I really want to find that for me. Uh, Cause this isn't it, but it seems to be for, for this guy. And that's, that's great. That's really neat. I, we're coming at, sort of like the overall antidote to shiny object syndrome in some really cool ways. I'm curious to know, do you still suffer from our shiny object syndrome, newly termed uh, <laughs> disorder? And I'm not, I don't want to call it a disorder. It's just, it's just a reality. Is it still something that's prominent in your life now? Um, you know, I mean, a, when you're, when you're starting a company, you have very little control in some senses. You know, people think, oh, you have, you can do whatever you want, but actually you can't, you have to do the things that need to get done. And so to, to some extent, yes, I am over it because I have to do all sorts of non-shiny things very frequently. And, and that <laughs> kind of comes to a head, but but you see it a lot, I think, in the startup world. I think actually the startup world is like one of the main culprits of yeah. we're calling it shiny object syndrome. It's funny because it's like SOS. It's so. sinking <laughs> in, isn't it? Nice. <laughs> um, but like uh, we, we have a, a, a term internally that we use for a certain type of person that, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, it's not necessarily the nicest term, but we call people sometimes wantrepreneurs. And the idea is that there's like, there's so much that appears glamorous about being a startup entrepreneur, you know, being tech, getting venture funding, all this kind of stuff. Um, that if you still had shiny object syndrome at this point, like I would have made a lot of really bad decisions and, and probably like there are these moments for the people that are more successful than me <laughs> that where, you know, it would be very easy for ego to take over in those situations because of the nature of the industry you're in, where all of a sudden a 23 year old kid can be Mark Zuckerberg. Right. Um, you know, it's easy for those people to get lost in kind of the glamor of, of the, of the industry and all, all of that. Uh, certainly Mark Zuckerberg isn't a entrepreneur. He's the other side of that where it's like crazy successful. And then, you know, eventually maybe, I don't know, apparently, I don't know if he's a nice guy or if he's humble or whatever, but for some people that gets to their head and for other people it doesn't. So just to answer your question, I don't think I have it as much now because there are a lot of things that appear shiny, but that I've experienced enough to be like, no, thank you. Like work travel. Oh my God, work travel is horrible. Why do people do that to themselves? But people view it as, oh, you get to travel the world. It's like they, they did that to us in accounting. It's like, wait, you mean I get to go to like Des Moines, Iowa and sit in a boardroom like and do the same thing that I do in the boardroom in downtown Toronto? Like, and order room service by yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, no, sorry. Like I'd rather pay for my own dinner and eat it with my friends than like sit in a lonely hotel room in Des Moines, Iowa. I don't know why I'm harping on Des Moines. I'm sure it's place. I've never been there, but my girlfriend went to Madison, Wisconsin 
uh, a few weeks ago for business travel. So I, I'm I'm digging your <laughs> Des Moines, Iowa here riff. <laughs> I can relate to it. I actually just wanted to ask a question. So you you've been through these transitions, and so for people who are, let's say they they decide that they have shiny object syndrome, they decide to figure out what it is that they really want to do, and then now they have to make a change. So like you said, you had to go from accounting and tell people you were now switching into something else. Do you have any advice for people who are going through that? I would say that it's it's easy to tell when you know, like sometimes it's just complete shock, which is fine. Sometimes people are legitimately judgmental, in which case you have to ignore them, which is can be very difficult depending on who those people are, of course. And then other times, and I would say probably a lot more than comes out in the communication, it's jealousy or envy, some version of that. And so just remember if, you know, people are giving you heck for it, Probably half of them are just jealous. Half of them think you're stupid. Um, one half is right. We're not sure yet. You'll find out. Um, so don't, you know, just know that none of these people actually know if it's right or wrong for you. In fact, you don't even know whether it's right or wrong for you. And, and that's one of the things that makes it so difficult. You know, you can learn as much as you want about a job or a career path. And I, highly recommend spending as much time talking to people that are in those fields to really understand the day-to-day. -day. Remember going back to function, like the heck do you do every day as an auditor or a lawyer or a whatever the heck you want to be. But at the end of the day, you'll never really understand it until you're there. I remember I took how many courses about auditing before I landed on a first audit. And I was like, oh, that's like what this was this whole time. Like I had this idea in my head, but it you don't really know until you're there. So do the background research that you can. Um, but you know, what is it? What's, what's the phrase like no, no battle plan, you know, remains after first contact or whatever it is. Like at the end of the day, you just, you've got to try something and be willing to accept that it may not, may not be right. And, and you're, you're kind of gathering more that, that should still give you more and more information to help mm -hmm. you make a better decision the next time. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's, I think it's everyone's plan is great until you get punched in the face, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to roll with those punches. Exactly. Did you have any mentors or people that you kind of utilized along the way to support you through those transitions? Absolutely. I mean, both formally and informally in terms of like nobody that had done like the same transition as me. And I don't even think that that's necessarily important. Like you know, if I was looking for an accountant that was that had gone into counterterrorism, my options would be extremely limited. <laughs> uh, um, so I think it's it's all about you know just finding somebody that you respect and that you trust, and 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 who genuinely is looking out for your best interests, which is sometimes hard to, hard to find. But you certainly don't want people that'll just agree with whatever you're saying and make you feel good about your decision. Those people aren't very useful. Um, and you definitely don't want people that are just going to come in with their own perspective and, you know, just shove it down your throat every chance they get. I would say in terms of finding a, a mentor and like selecting somebody that is good for you, I use the same kind of, um, let's call it uh, filtering process as I do when I'm looking for advice for my company. 
And one of the things that is always the case, all of the best investors I've had, all of the best advisors I've had, all of the people that I respect the most, they are intimately aware that they don't understand everything about your business or in the case that we're talking about, everything about your life and career. And the best sign is when they start by asking a ton of questions. And if they're asking you, you know, well, how do you feel about this? And why did you do that? And what, you know, in the company analogy, people, okay, well, let me understand your business model. Why did you choose to go that way versus this other way that I thought could work? Like if you, if somebody comes at that from a purely non-judgmental information gathering kind of perspective, that's a really good sign that they're going to be more thoughtful and more, let's call it, um, they will, they will change their recommendations based on you rather than kind of overlaying onto you all the mistakes that they've made in their lives because that's probably what a lot of people you know i mean again we're human we make a mistake we learn from that mistake and then we see that mistake everywhere right Mm -hmm. if you have a hammer everything looks like a nail so you want that person that's willing to sit back and say like how is this different for me how can my experiences help this person but like, what is different about this person that, that is that from me so that I can apply it that way. And like, I've been, I've been really lucky to have a lot of great people like that. One that specifically uh, comes to mind is um, uh, a lady that I met. This was actually when I was at the, the company I was at before this, it wasn't my own company, but she had been a CFO at several uh, startup companies, very successful And we really hit it off. And I think that's one of the other things is like at the end of the day, when it comes to mentors, like it's, it's fundamentally like any other relationship in your life. Your parents can't go, Oh, go go be friends with that person. What if you don't like that person? (laughs) So like, just because somebody looks like the right mentor doesn't mean that they're the right mentor. Um, So it's, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's about, you know, whatever you want to say that spark, that je ne sais quoi, that piece of the puzzle that is, totally uh non-logical that you just click so this 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 mentor of mine her name is michelle and i still speak to her every month for the past let's call it five six years now you know we've gone beyond just mentoring me about business in fact her business experience is less and less relevant for me as i become less of a finance person and more of a podcast host slash ceo um but it's that i respect her greatly. I I know that she knows me really well. And so when she says things, it's like premised on five years of knowing me and who I am and what I care about. And she is full of questions all the time. That's really cool. Yeah. It's one of those things, like a great mentoring relationship, right? You kind of alluded to it. It gets more valuable over time as the depth of understanding between the two parties just continues to get more and more profound. It just sort of compounds the positive effects of the mentorship over time. Would you agree yeah. with that? Absolutely. And, and just to say like probably my, my key mentors outside of like formal people like that are like, you know, my friends and family. Yeah. Like my, my co-founder is my best friend. He's been my best friend for a really, really long time. He was probably my number one mentor through a lot of that stuff when you know, I mean, not mentor in that formal way, but he was, you know, a lot of times the guy would be there sitting and complaining about the same stuff together. And a lot of that does have value because that person knows who you are and they will recommend things about 
you that you may not necessarily consider that if they're, if you have the type of relationship where they are honest with you and that's um, really good in a lot of ways. And even still like, okay, let's take today. If we want to expand the definition of mentor, who's the first person that I ask about any business decision, it's my co-founder. It always is. And, mm-hmm. and so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just all, all about, again, that I think so much more of it is that click factor, whatever you want to call it, that is kind of difficult to, to say. So I would, I would kind of look at finding a mentor like dating, you know, like go and talk to a bunch of people, ask them about their career. Like there's, that's a super useful thing to do in general, as I was mentioning earlier, like anytime you're thinking, Oh, maybe I want to be a, a baker. Like at one point my wife said that maybe she loves baking. She's a phenomenal baker. And she's like, maybe I should open a bakery. And I said to her, well, why don't you go like find a bakery, offer to volunteer for a week and see if you like it. And after the third morning of waking up at four in the morning to get there and start baking stuff, she was like, you know what? I really like baking as a hobby. <laughs> like for her, it's like when she's angry or upset, she'll go and bake to calm down, which is awesome. But if that becomes your full-time job, that's uh, much. Yeah. So. Yeah. The informational interviews are something that we actually had a guest on earlier that we talked about. So yeah. definitely agree with you on that. Cool. Very neat recurring theme. I think we've kind of touched on this in some really, really cool ways. Uh, It's been more than just an episode on avoiding shiny object syndrome. You've given us a lot of really (laughs) cool things, not just us, Lisa and myself, but also our our audience, obviously, to to consider. Lisa, have you got anything else you want to add right now? Yeah. So um, I just have some questions that we ask all of our guests who come on the show. Sure. Um, What's the most fun that you've had in your career? Probably doing the podcasts we do now. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe this will be a good moment for my like uh, my 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 plug. Um, you know, if you're a CPA listening, we we offer continuing professional development hours through our app LumaQ, and I'm the host for most of them so far. Almost all of them so far. We're eventually trying to expand that but it's it's really interesting to get the opportunity to engage with just leaders of all different types like i've done podcasts with you know jim balsilli who founded blackberry or william tunstall padot who invented amazon alexa or navdeep baines who's our innovation minister and also happens to be a cpa Hmm. um that's so cool uh you know uh this the colleen johnston the cfo of td bank who's like this absolutely ridiculously awesome person that i if anybody ever gets a chance to listen to her like your career will definitely benefit and and so it's like this opportunity to meet these cool people and ask them anything i want uh that's that's probably been the most the most fun thing in my career that's awesome yeah, we're Very starting cool. to experience that ourselves. Actually, yeah, getting into conversations with guys like yourself—it's really, it's been amazing. <laughs> I, I don't know if I don't know if I'm at that level, but I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've touched on this a little bit too. Um, but what would you say is the biggest risk that you've taken in your career, and how did it turn out? Starting the business. Yeah. Um, how did it turn out? Question mark. <laughs> uh, have me back in like five to seven years and hopefully I will have Perfect. an answer by then. That's right. That's right. Um, but it's, you know, I mean like there's no doubt that starting a business, like when I thought I was taking a risk going into counterterrorism from being an accountant, 
it turns out that that risk appears quite small now compared to what the whole business thing was because you're a working for an unknown period of time without any income, which was pretty devastating. And then when you actually do get an income, it's very minor <laughs> and it's, and, and you know, it, 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 that continues. So from a straight financial perspective, sorry, I am an accountant. I go there first. That's, you know, huge financial risk. But when you actually just look at your reputation and your ability to kind of continue in your career, like, I don't know, let's say my company had failed last year or will fail in a year from now. Like I'm, I'm hoping and I'm optimistic that my skill sets will be, you know, applicable in other areas and that companies will want to hire me on the belief that, you know, I am something that of interest to them, but that's a huge risk that they're going to look at me and say, Oh, this is accounting guy. And then there's a counter chair. Like this guy doesn't know what he wants to do. He's all over the place. You, you know, what, why would, why would we want this guy? Um, now that being said, I, when I'm hiring, I'm probably more open to those kind of people. Cause I'm sure. like, oh, all right, you know, you always kind of want to, there's a, there's a thing in hiring where people are always just kind of looking for people like themselves. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as the looking like is more in the like, um, uh, uh, let's call it like uh, non tangible sense, right? If looking like, you know, is skin color and gender. Yeah. You don't want to be doing that. But if looking like is, you know, people who have some of the same drives and passions and motivations and kind of stuff like that, then it's, it can be good as long as you're not packing your team with too much of the same skill set. Anyways, I probably went off on a tangent there, but. <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> it's all good. Awesome. All right. And then my last question is, what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Ooh, the best piece of career advice I have ever received. That's, that's tough. Cause there's a, there's a couple of different like pieces of your career. Like there's, there's personally, then there's like actually like succeeding in your career and, and all of that. I guess the first thing that jumps to mind it's, it's going to sound overly simplistic, but um, one of our investors and a, and a guy who I have a whole ton of respect for, a guy named Jean de Gagne, who uh, used to head up uh, part of the Toronto Stock Exchange, he said something really simple when I, when I asked him something along those lines. And it was two words, always deliver. And, and he said it to me, he, he said, you know, I think every job I've ever gotten I was unqualified for. And why did people give me jobs I was unqualified for? Because in whatever I did with them before, even if I hated it and realized it wasn't for me and, you know, it was horrible and all the rest of it, like I always delivered. You know, I, when I said I was going to do something, I did. And when I was responsible for something, it got done. Um, and it, it sounds simplistic, but it's probably a really good mantra to live by. Amen. Right. I'm with it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just add to that, that like I have, you know, with, with my own employees, like they, you know, they and me, we, we screw up all the time. This is, that's just, that's just the cost of doing business, especially in a startup when you're doing everything for the first time. And so I'm never like, I, I never really care if one of our employees, this is going to sound kind of sadistic. Actually, I remember one time early on when this bug happened in our system and we realized it. And it was a really bad bug. It was the worst bug we'd ever had by far. I remember looking at, at our, our lead developer and the look on his face, like that was enough for me. 
Like I didn't need anything else. The look on his face was just, you know, I don't even know the words to describe it. The fact that he made a mistake didn't really matter. The fact that he cared so much that he made it and he like, you know, jumped right on it and tried to solve the problem and did very quickly. Right. That's what I, I loved to see again, make sound sadistic, but I liked how much pain he was in because it just proved to me the kind of person that he is. And so I think that that kind of couples with that always deliver. It's also showing that, you know, again, not that he intended it. It just came out naturally because he intended to, to be that way. And so I think if you're doing that all the time, your bosses, your colleagues, your uh, direct reports, all of them will look at you and be like, this is somebody that I want to work with. I want to learn from. I want to, whatever the case. Awesome. Very insightful. I love it. Cool. Where can people find you? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm relatively active on LinkedIn. And if you search up my last name, I promise you I'm the only one other than my sister and she is a girl and you will be able to tell the difference. <laughs> um, so that's one place. Uh, anybody's free to email me, Michael at luminary, L-U-M-I-N-A-R-I.co. And otherwise, check out our, uh, our, our platform, L-U-M-I-Q-C-P-D.com. Very cool. Yeah, we'll be we'll be spreading the word for sure. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. That was an amazing episode. Thank you so much for joining us this week for the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Gosek. Our guest was Michael Kravchik, and we will be with you again soon. Bye for now. <laughs>